Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll learn more about the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program offered through the University of Winnipeg's Wikiwakanak Centre, which gives kids the chance to learn about math and Indigenous culture. We'll speak to a couple of the participants about their experience, as well as the program's coordinator, Nick Tanchuk. Then we'll talk to one of the original dancers in the Summer Bear Dance Troupe, Melissa Nepinak. She'll tell us about the world-renowned group and what life was like in Winnipeg before she found dance. Then we'll speak with Kevin Lamaru, the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs at the University of Winnipeg, and we'll learn about why truth and reconciliation is important and what it means to us as a country. We've also got a brand new Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge kicking off later in the show, and we're going to ask you hockey trivia questions with the Winnipeg or Manitoba connection. And as always, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to discuss This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism project. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. We've got a great show for you today. Robert, how are you feeling this fine morning? Not too bad. Uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend, so I'd like to wish all of our listeners out there a happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Hope everyone is having a safe and happy holiday weekend. It is a long weekend, so hopefully you've got today and tomorrow off so you can relax, take it easy, uh, eat some turkey, enjoy your friends and family, and just all around have a nice relaxing weekend because you deserve it. Robert, you deserve it too. You know that? Thank you. So do you, Nolan. Thank you very much. So uh, before we get to Thanksgiving afternoon, how about we listen to Thank You for the Music by ABBA right here on River City 360. I'm nothing special. In fact, I'm a bit of a bore. If I tell a joke, you've probably heard it before. But I have a talent, a wonderful thing Cause everyone listens when I start to sing I'm so grateful and proud All I want is to sing it out loud So I say thank you for the music, the songs Yeah. 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. That was Chickadee Richards singing a traditional honor song at the graduation ceremony for the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program. This past summer, the program gave around 45 kids the opportunity to learn about math, as well as Indigenous culture, through activities, field trips, and presentations. RC360 attended the graduation ceremony and spoke to a couple of the participants in the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program. Josie Gustafson is a 16-year-old youth leader who has participated for four years and she enjoys teaching math to younger kids. I say it's a very good place to come for children to learn about math and it's a great experience because you get to do traditional things and it's not all math all the time. We have math in the mornings and then we have games and stuff in the afternoon but we also do math still. It's pretty cool. Learning and making new friends are two of the big reasons why nine-year-old Colton Stevenson took part for his second year. I love math when I was in school. Sometimes I'd, I'd struggle a little bit but then I do the ones I know and keep on going from there and then I just tried it out and then I really liked it so I came back another year and then just really had fun. We also asked Josie and Colton about their favorite parts of the program. We like to also include traditional things like culture and foods and like that and so we wanted to add a sweat lodge just to get to know our culture more. I learned that it's like a very spiritual place, like it's sacred, that the land is sacred over there. There's a lot of new things that I learned about my culture. My favorite part was going to the Winnipeg Art Gallery because there's a lot of cultural art there and I've never seen art like that before. They look really nice. Thank you very much to Josie and Colton for speaking with us. When we come back, we'll learn more about the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program and how it got started from the program coordinator, Nick Tanchuk. But first, here's Perry Como with Thank Your Lucky Stars, right here on River City 360. How's your love life? Well, thank your lucky stars. Yes, thank your lucky stars. It's doing fine. Keep your love life as sweet as candy bars. And thank your lucky stars. Like I thank mine Everybody's living 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. Now, just before the break, we spoke to Josie and Colton, two participants in Wiki Wakanuk Center's Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program. The program coordinator, Nick Tanchuk, is a teacher who's currently working toward his PhD in philosophy and education at Columbia University, and he developed the program together with his wife, Dr. Carly Scramstad. RC360 Stacy Cardigan Smith also had the chance to speak with Nick recently about how the program got started and what kind of impact that barrier free programming can have on youth in our community. Here's RC360 Stacy Cardigan Smith. I know you played a major role in the Indigenous Math Leadership Program. Can you tell me about it, how it, how it came to be? Program started sort of out of uh, just as I was leaving teaching in Winnipeg's inner, inner city to go back to grad school. Mm-hmm. I noticed that there were some excellent programs staffed by retired teachers uh, for newcomer students that weren't accessible to Indigenous students uh, in my class. Mm-hmm. And there was also a really good sort of outside-of-school numeracy support program uh, that the Chinese community runs that supports a lot of their learners. And they also do some language and culture stuff. And I was interested in providing some support to kids who are leaving my class or our school who are in that transition to, to junior high, particularly those who weren't connected to any other summer programming. Um, and so um, doing starting sort of some sort of uh, program to try to fill in and strengthen and build some confidence heading into junior high seemed like a good place to pitch in. Math in particular seemed like a decent leverage point to support students in growing a sense of identity and belonging as learners, um, because for many people, confidence in math uh, translates into confidence in other areas of school. Um, and I think this is partly because like math sometimes um, is seen as a difficult or intimidating subject. And so if you can sort of have some success there, um, it can make you feel a little bit like you can conquer other challenging and potentially intimidating things. From my time in teacher training, uh, I've become interested also in the way that um, a sense of living as a learner is foregrounded within lots of Indigenous thought and culture. Um, and I thought that in an out-of-school um, setting, there might be some more room to uh, explore and develop uh, students' knowledge uh, of these sort of cultural insights and to help support them in becoming local experts on uh, the history of Indigenous ideas. As an ally, I've never really thought of myself as an expert on traditional Indigenous knowledge, but I've always been 
interested in opening up opportunities for students to explore these insights. We just started small with a small group of kids um, who we knew either from teaching um, or also I coached at Spence Neighborhood Association. Mm -hmm. And we started with a very low-key thing and it was I kind of thought it might just be like a one-year thing. Uh, but then it grew each, like at the end of that year, kids asked if we do it again the next year. We kind of wanted to make it equal parts numeracy support, but also like leadership training and capacity building. Uh, because, you know, those are the sorts of things that can also help you to make it through sort of those sometimes difficult teenage years, um, you know, in a really strong way. It was in the fourth year that with Sharon, we, you know, wrote some of our, our first proposals to grow the program uh, to support a barrier-free approach to supporting a larger number of kids. And it's been really exciting to see uh, that younger group, that original group of participants who were sort of, you know, grade five, six, seven age kids. Now, you know, they're grade 10, 11, 12, taking on those leadership roles in a really strong way where, you know, they're building websites for programs, designing logos for T-shirts, leading lessons with younger kids, leading activities and games. And that's really the exciting thing, I think, to see is to see that. Um, growth and, and strength and leadership emerge and to see that sort of ripple and snowball ripple effect on the younger generation. Can you tell me a little bit about um, why it was important to include some of these indigenous themed activities and how having that type of a culturally supportive environment can can help youth excel? One of the things that was very clear both among um, the guest speakers who came and, and shared their stories with, with camp participants, but also in our stakeholder uh, consultations with parents um, and youth themselves, was that a lot of folks who have had a, had a lot of success in life have drawn strength from traditional knowledge and culture and ceremony, and that this is something that has really helped people to thrive and to flourish. I know Wab Knu will, will tell you on a regular basis that, like, you know, there's research that shows that having a connection to culture for Indigenous youth is a risk insulator. It makes you stronger, happier, healthier, more likely to, to thrive. And so we thought that this was like a really important part of programming, especially given that a lot of youth haven't necessarily had access to some of those experiences. Um, and so trying to find ways to bring in elders or bring youth to land-based cultural learning opportunities has been a really important part, I think, of what we do. And that, that's based on our participant feedback. Linda DeRiviere, a Macy researcher from UOW, has done program evaluation each year with us. And one of the things that you know, kids echo is that for many youth, this was their first chance ever to go medicine picking. Kevin Satie, uh, who's now president of the UWSA, mm-hmm. took us out to Fisher River First Nation and we, and we picked sweetgrass and learned about cultural teachings around caring for each other and caring for the land through the practice of and ceremony of sweetgrass picking. And I believe it's his uncle, Richard Robinson, an elder, uh, shared those teachings with youth. And this year, uh, we went to a sweat, a youth sweat also with Kevin last year uh, on the blacksmith farm. And this year, again, on uh, Rosa River First Nation that Jason Parento led. And overwhelmingly coming out of those experiences, youth have reported exactly what other leaders in the community have said, and that it was a really positive experience that they came out feeling stronger, healthier, uh, more connected. And these things, I think, are really, really crucial, especially in adolescent years, to fostering achievement um, in academia, but also in in all the other things that matter in life. And so uh, that was a really crucial part, was building in um, connections to those those elements. And it's just in keeping with the recommendations of the TRC and lots of other smart folks in the community who have been saying these things for years. Tell me what's next for the program. I think, you know, the thing that we're most excited about is 
continuing to work to grow and support uh, our, our high school age kids in taking on, you know, full blown imp- employment rules and being able to grow the scope of what, what we do uh, to continue to grow that ripple effect where one generation supports another generation and supporting generation who's even younger than them and creating that strong sense of intergenerational connection uh, around learning and caring for each other um, and you know, for life and for the environment. Um, and I think that that's, you know, the really exciting sort of next step for us is to see kids who were quite young when we started programming grow into those very uh, increasingly adult rules as, as the rest of us also in turn <laughs> grow older. And so I think that the next steps are really trying to build that employment piece uh, and those opportunities for youth to have meaningful summer employment as they continue to work towards post-secondary pathways themselves uh, and to support younger kids in the community in also having those same pathways and access going forward. It's pretty amazing to see the difference that those different grassroots components have made for kids. And also this just to see how big an impact it can have for kids who do get access, like how far kids can go. We saw it in sports at Spence where, you know, by taking a barrier-free approach, you know, Jamil and I wrote an op-ed about the like six uh, provincial high school all-stars that we had last year, you know, including the very best male and the very best female from the top-ranked basketball players in the province. They're all kids who played at Spence. Wow. Um, and wouldn't have had access to sport otherwise. And it was partly my experience as sports coordinator that made me curious about taking that barrier-free model and really taking it seriously um, within the context of education and seeing if there's ways that we can do that similar kind of thing. Because it makes you wonder, you know, if the very best players wouldn't have had access without a barrier-free program, um, you know, who else are we missing out on? And when you say barrier-free, what does that mean? So that means, you know, no registration costs. It means transportation, safe rides to and from. It means free meals and any equipment or supplies that, that you're needed that are needed to be, you know, be in programming. Basically, you know, your job should be as a kid to be a kid and be interested and ready to participate in whatever the, the modality of programming is. Mm-hmm. And as adults, it's our job to make sure that if this is a good thing that's important uh, for living a healthy, happy life, that you know, we create spaces where kids can show up, be kids, and have access to these things. Thanks, Stacy, and thank you to Nick Tanchuk, Program Coordinator of the Summer Indigenous Math Leadership Program at Wikiwakanuk Centre. Coming up after the break, we're going to hear our very own Stacy Cardigan-Smith's interview with Melissa Nepenak. She is one of the original dancers of the Summer Bear Dance Troupe, an Indigenous dance troupe that's been doing traditional dance, traditional Indigenous dances for over 24 years. But first, here's Bing Crosby with Sunday, Monday, or Always, right here on River City 360. Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, I want you near. Oh, won't you tell me when we will meet again, Sunday, Monday, or always? If you're satisfied, I'll be at your side, Sunday, Monday, or always. No need to tell me now what makes the world go round When at the sight of you my heart begins to pound and pound And what am I to do? Can I be with you Sunday, 
Monday or always and forever I must be with you Beginning on Sunday and Monday and then forever How won't you tell me when we will meet again Or always If you're satisfied I'll be at your side Sunday, Sunday or Monday Or always Monday, Monday, Monday No need to tell me now What makes the world go round When at the sight of you My heart begins to pound What am I to do? Can I be with you Sunday? Sunday. Monday. Monday. Or always. Always. Welcome back to River City 360. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, so the Summer Bear Dance Troupe began over two decades ago as a way to try to inform and educate Winnipeggers about Indigenous dance and culture. And early in the week, RC360 was able to attend a performance of the Summer Bear, Summer Bear Dance Troupe at the Winnipeg Foundation's annual Legacy Circle event. The troupe performed uh, a few different dances, including a traditional healing dance and an incredible hoop dance, showing just why they have kind of become a world-renowned dance group that's performed all over the world. River City 360's Stacy Cardigan-Smith sat down with one of the dancers, Melissa Napanak, who is one of the original dancers in the group, and the group was actually started by her parents over 24 years ago, and we are happy to bring you their conversation. Stacy, Summer Bear, the Summer Bear Dance Troupe was formed by your mom 24 years ago, is that correct? About 24 years ago. I think we're a little bit over that now. We just <laughs> always say 24. Uh, and yes, it was started by my mom and dad. Well, my mom prim- primarily, and then... It started as a family because we experienced in St. James, where we lived our whole life, uh, was a lot of racism growing up. So in the elementary school, when it was growing up, my parents used to, for birthdays and things like that, we wouldn't just invite, you know, one or two friends. You invite the whole class. And a lot of the times, nobody ever showed up. So it was usually just your cousins. And that was birthdays growing up. And then in elementary school was where we first started our dance troupe. And it was to bring awareness to Aboriginal, to the Aboriginal people that we had in our community. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday, who was all there. We must have been there for about half an hour and dancing and showing the people, you know, our community where we lived for so long, who we were and what we did. And ever since then, it's been a world of difference. So now we're, you know, growing up, of course, when you're six, seven, eight years old, it's not very easy to talk about yourself or talk about where you come from or what what did you do on the weekend? You know, and for us, it was always going to powwows and always doing cultural events. But to the friends that we had, it was never like that because a lot of them were Caucasian, Caucasian kids and 
they never had any other experience. So as the years went on and as, you know, we still have very good friends from those days and I still remember <laughs> one of our friends, you know, really pale skin and she's got red hair and there she was dancing in the pile with all the rest of us because then we started inviting friends out and pa and the parents were like oh okay that's yeah we could do that you know and then and, and in turn we'd go to like sunday school which i had no idea what sunday school was or what they did and i just thought you just went there and had snacks and played <laughs> so we got to learn those things growing up you know, and being aware of the other kids in your neighborhood and where they grew up and what they did and going to church and things like that. So that's where our dance troupe started was to bring awareness of, of what we did and how Aboriginal people lived and the things that we, the things that we did on a regular basis. So that was 24, 25 odd years ago. Yep. How have things changed today? Things have changed today quite dramatically now. Um, now we're looked in the community people always recognize us they always want to know where we're performing at you go to Safeway and you got to talk to everybody that's over there you know like that's just the way it is <laughs> and people always see us on the news or they read the paper and we're on there you know and they're like oh we know them oh we know them you know and it, and it and it, they, it they're almost like people people are now proud to say that that they know that they know people that they see in the news you know and and like for instance when we did the opening of the canadian human rights museum my niece was the one who placed that last stone and i remember we took her out of school for that and the teacher the principal at the school was like oh this is a big thing like this is this is really huge and the next day they actually televised it for their students in the classroom and she got to watch it and it was just like man you know like in this day and age, that would never happen. You know, like if it wasn't for us beginning those those first steps of making Aboriginal awareness in our community. So from those from those beginnings, like laying the groundwork there, like it seems like initially it was your immediate community, and now it's our whole community, our now, city, our country that's really embracing yes. a lot of what you do. Uh, a lot of years, we spent a lot of years going to a lot of different schools. Um, we we would have our our booking agent through faces and he would and he would uh, book us through all these different schools and and we've been I think to almost every school in the city promoting Aboriginal culture and doing workshops and starting them even as young kids you know like kindergarten kids and daycare kids you know teaching about song and dance you know the the beginning steps because when I learned how to dance that's when I learned how to walk you know that's how it was when we grew up um, you once you learned that was that was the way it was you you hear that song and you started walking and that's how we walked we just started from walking to dancing and the great thing about it nowadays is that when people see you on the street i come downtown it's like oh i know who you are i've seen you perform and that's a great feeling because a lot of times you don't get that you don't you know not just random strangers come up and say you know well, i want to shake your hand because i know who you are and I've seen you perform, and that's a great feeling because a lot, a lot of times you don't get that. What, what do you want? What, what happens next for people if they haven't had a chance to see you? Like, how, 
I feel like you come into the room, there's this explosion of incredible culture. And if people haven't been able to experience that, like what do they do? How do, can they can they go out to a powwow? Can they come see you perform? What do, what do, what do people do? Powwows are free. A lot of times when you see a powwow road, a powwow sign on the side of the road, if you're traveling somewhere out of town, and if it says powwow and there's an arrow, you follow it. I can't guarantee you how long it's going to take you to get there, <laughs> but I can speak from experience. Uh, once you follow that and you get to that powwow, you know what? You sit down and you go and don't be afraid to ask people, you know, what is that? Or what are they doing? You know, what does that mean? And people are more than happy to explain and to say, oh, well, this is this. And, you know, eat, eat the local food because a lot of times it's a lot of traditional food. You know, stuff that you wouldn't get here at Safeway or Sobeys, you know, and things like that. So, yeah, it is, uh, it is very different. Barb and Clarence are busy a lot in the community, um, especially during the summer and also at the winter. We also, Clarence also does, and Barb does the winter programming at the Forks. So usually uh, they set up a TV in January, beginning of January, first two weekends in January. And we always welcome people to come out to, the, to, to that one because it's always fun to set up a TV in the middle of winter. That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a challenge in itself. But we always have fun doing it. And we, a lot of times we get just random strangers come up and help. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, you know, they're best friends. And it's like, oh, next thing you know, they're coming over for supper. Or, you know, like it, there's always, you always make those friendships. So yes, now that they've done these things, now it's up, it's up to, to us now. You know, now we've got to make the time and we've got to make more of an effort to go and take over for those things because they're not going to be here forever. And yes, our dance troupe is one thing, but, you know, the other things that they do will also have to have to start doing as well. Yep, be carried on. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Stacey, and thank you to Melissa Nepenak for talking to us earlier in the week. Coming up after our musical break, we're going to hear from Kevin Lamaru. He's the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs at the University of Winnipeg. He was actually at the he was the keynote speaker at this week's Legacy Circle event where the Summer Dan- Summer Bear Dance Troupe performed earlier this week. He will join us via telephone and we'll learn about why truth and reconciliation is important to Canada and what it means to us as a country. But first, here's Jack Kane and Bert Neosi with Canadian Sunset right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. Now, this month on the program, we're focusing on stories related to community connections, and one major topic related to that is reconciliation. As we mentioned earlier on in the program, this past Wednesday, the Winnipeg Foundation held its annual Legacy Circle reception, and we were honored to have Kevin Lamaru, he's an award-winning instructor at the University of Winnipeg, present the keynote speech on the subject of reconciliation. And while it can be kind of a complex topic, Kevin explains why it's important for everyone in a way that's very relatable. RC360 Stacy Cardigan Smith recently spoke with Kevin on the subject of truth and reconciliation, and we'll be airing his interview in four parts over the next few weeks of the program. So here's part one of our interview with Kevin Lamaru. What does truth and reconciliation mean to us as a country, and why is it important? There's a couple of answers to that question. The first is this is that, you know, when we think about the legacy of residential schools and what that did to people. Uh, it's important to remember that that didn't just happen to First Nations people, right? So it would be ridiculous to suggest that the damage wasn't heaviest in First Nations communities. And that's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am arguing is that the impacts of a broken relationship, of traumatized communities, of intergenerational traumas, of just the moral blemish of having done this to kids uh, affects all Canadians. And we're still living with the legacy of that today. And so truth and reconciliation for me uh, really represents a journey of Canada back home or, or back to the country that we should have always been. We've all been robbed of the opportunity to live in an equitable society. We've all been robbed of the opportunity to have a healthy relationship with, with one another. We've all been affected by this broken relationship. And so truth and reconciliation provides us with a way of, of evolving, growing into the country we should have always been, that should have been our birthright. It um, gives us a way to heal from the, the, the moral and social wound that uh, was inflicted on us. Through, through residential schools and, you know, the impositions of the Indian Act on First Nations people. But the other thing it does is provide us with the kind of future that I think that we would want for all of our kids. It's a place where everyone in Canada has the opportunity to experience belonging and opportunity and possibility. And I think that even the staunchest critic or the most reluctant thinker, if you get down to the surface, really wants to see a healthy Canada with no poverty, with less crime rates, with, with less of a uh, uh, some of the health concerns that we see. I mean, no one feels good about hearing about someone sitting in a hospital waiting room for 30 hours and no one comes and sees them. No one feels good about that. And I think that a lot of Canadians, you know, because of, you know, uh, a reluctance in the school systems historically to look at these issues really have no explanation uh, for why things are the way that they are. And Truth and Reconciliation provides that. It provides some answers to some tough questions. It provides us an opportunity to look inwards as people and as a country. And, uh, you know, quite simply, the calls to action provide us with a way home, a way forward, a way towards the country we should have always been. Okay, so that kind of leads into my next question. How can the average person support the calls to action? Well, that's easy. There's two things that I'm asking all Canadians to think about as, you, uh, as, as we think about truth and reconciliation and the calls to action specifically. Every Canadian, I think, should read the calls to action. There's 94 of them. There's a lot in there, but I think that it's, uh, it's a worthwhile read. It's a worthwhile study. And I'm asking all Canadians to think about two questions for every one of those 94 calls to action. The first one is this. 
why is the recommendation being made? So as you go through the 94 calls to action, if we as individuals could answer for ourselves satisfactorily, why is this being asked of us? Why is this being asked of me? I think that that's the truth part of truth and reconciliation. I think in trying to answer that question for ourselves would necessarily expose us to a story about Canada that many of us didn't grow up with. And so that's that's the first thing, is, is to seek out some truth uh, in the truth and reconciliation. The second question that I'm asking all Canadians to think about for every one of those 94 calls to action is, would our country, the, the country that we share and the one we want to leave behind for our kids, be better or worse off if this call to action were fulfilled? Now, it sort of sounds like a, a leading question, and it, it most certainly is, but I think that there's something really interesting that Canadians will find in trying to answer that question, that in fact, our world is better off, our country is better off, if we're able to move towards reconciliation. Just in terms of social services, in terms of safety, in terms of well-being, in terms of health care, the, the, the bottom line is, is improved in Canada. But more than that, uh, I think it allows us to um, imagine a more morally grounded future where we can really feel proud of who and what we are as a country. Now, there's there's a lot that I feel proud about being uh, a Canadian, right? I mean, we are the shining beacon of hope for many people around the world, except that we haven't fully lived on to our full potential and that there are many here, you know, right now at home for whom there is no safety and there is no sense of belonging, there is, doesn't have that same opportunity that we are known for in other parts of the world, for other people around the world. And so... You know, I, I think that would our Canada be better off? I think that we would be exposed to a really exciting possibility for the Canada we leave behind for our kids. Thanks very much to Kevin Lamaru for joining us. And we'll have part two of the interview with Kevin Lamaru on the show next week. So be sure to tune in for that. Coming up after the break, hockey buffs out there, hope you're paying attention. We are launching the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge this week. We're going to be kicking off our Manitoba-themed trivia with Fred Morris. He's RC360's Hockey Trivia Master. Before we get to that, here's Teresa Brewer with My Guy right here on River City 360. Nothing you can say can tear me away from my guy. Nothing you can do cause I'm stuck like glue to my guy. Be exact, he's 
It's the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge on River City 360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio for a brand new segment here on River City 360 uh, featuring Fred Morris. Fred is a lifelong hockey fan. He's a uh, citizen journalist for Community News Commons. He's a local writer, and he's going to be River City 360's trivia master because uh, we've got a brand new trivia segment that we're going to be kicking off that's focused entirely on Manitoba and Winnipeg connections to to professional hockey to the NHL because hockey's kicking off. So, Fred, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, it's, a, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, as I say, I, I grew up in St. James. I didn't play too much hockey, but I was a lifelong hockey fan. And about a year ago, one of my favorite projects is was I helped the St. James Civic Center celebrate the 50th birthday of the opening of the building and I was there 50 years ago wow to watch uh, a lot of my friends play and we we had a reunion cool. on exactly the same day 50 years ago and this sort of started my interest in uh, getting more involved in uh, in hockey again and uh, when Gordy Howe passed away I did the Gordy Howe trivia okay which with the uh, all the questions had a Winnipeg uh, connected Winnipeg Winnipeg connection. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's what I wanted to talk about because Manitoba and and Winnipeg in general are known as hockey. You know, we're a hockey town here. We're a hockey province. Um, so, what have you learned over the years when you're kind of scouring the uh, the NHL or or the old WHA or anything for for old hockey trivia? What what's some of the interesting things you've learned? Well, I, I've learned a lot, and uh, I came up with this idea that the 100th season of the NHL, Winnipeg has had teams in it for 23 years, but we've always contributed. So I said, well, why not make a list of 100 trivia questions? And I think it's up to 112 now on NHL trivia, and everyone has a connected to Manitoba in some sort of a way. And uh, this is the project we're working on. It's perfect. I think our listeners are going to be both entertained, they're going to be informed, and it's going to be a bit of a, it'll be a fun thing to do because we, we're going to get our listeners to call in if they have the answer because it's, uh, all the questions, as you mentioned, are going to be, uh, have a Manitoba or Winnipeg connection to them some sort. Um, but what do you think it means uh, for Winnipeggers when it comes to hockey and, and Canadians in general? Why do you think hockey is such an important part of our, uh, of our society? Well, I think it's a game that most of us have played, and it's always been basically the number one sport, and I think that's what it means to, to Winnipeg and Manitoba. And uh, right now we have a very successful NHL team, and I'm sure it'll stay that way for decades to come. Hope so, hey? Yeah. So why trivia? Why is that something that you've found uh, interesting in, in your life to, to pursue a little bit? 
Well, I've always had a bit, bit of a knack. Of course, as time goes on, you can't remember who all the players are and all that sort of thing. But I think I just have a sort of knack of picking up uh, trivia and, and sports and other things too. And uh, I think it really interests people, and uh, that's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, you mentioned earlier that you kind of hear something and you think, oh, that'd make a good trivia question. You know, that's an l- interesting little tidbit, and you kind of have to have that mind to uh, to really notice those moments and, and remember those little tidbits, I guess, hey? Uh, I, th- I, th- I think you do, and sometimes when a news story breaks, you say, well, I mean, right. what's the... It'll make an interesting trivia question if it happens this way or that way. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, let's get into it then. So, um, w- like you said, you had over 100 questions. We're not obviously going to get all 100 weeks in a row of questions, but each week, basically, we're going to ask a, a new question. You're going to ask the trivia question, maybe give a little hint or a little bit of backstory or something along those lines, and then the next week, we'll have you back in here, and then you'll tell us the answer, um, and then even a little bit more story about, about the question and, and how you came to that answer or, or a little backstory in that way. I think it'll be very interesting for our listeners. So without further ado, uh, Fred, I'll just get you to ask the first question on our, uh, on our hockey trivia. In the 1964 Stanley Cup Finals, and believe it or not, it was played in, on April 25th, the seventh game, who scored the winning goal? So the winning goal in the 1964 Stanley Cup Finals, Game 7. Game seven. And and just to remember for our listeners, it has to have a Manitoba or Winnipeg connection. All of the questions will. So if you know the answer to this, you can call our listener line. Uh, it's open 24-7, so you can call 204-944-9474, extension 360, and leave a message. Again, that question is, in 1964, who scored the Stanley Cup winning goal in Game 7? Again, that number, 204-944-9474, extension 360. First caller in will win, and we'll play your answer next week on the show. Uh, Fred Morris, thank you very much for talking to us today. Uh, We'll see you next week when you will give us the answer to that question, and we'll have a brand new question for our listeners as well. Thanks a lot, Fred. Thank you. This has been the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge. Call in now. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. Now, last weekend on the program, we asked you what or who you were thankful for this Thanksgiving weekend. We had some really great responses that we'd be happy to share with you. First, here's one of our youngest listeners at age four, Greta. My name is Greta Norman. I'm four and a half, and I'm thankful for my friends and family. Great answer, Greta, and thank you for sharing with us. We also received responses on social media. Melanie White tweeted us saying that she's thankful to work for an organization that is really dedicated to helping people. In her case, that's the Manitoba Red Cross. So thank you, Melanie, for reaching out to us. And Ryan also called into our listener line, and here's what he had to say. Funk and... I am thankful that I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and I am thankful that I'm healthy and I'm happy and I'm positive. I'm thankful. (laughs) I want everybody to, to be thankful as well. Happy Thanksgiving. Awesome. Goodbye. 
Thanks for calling and sharing what you're thankful for, Ryan. And thank you again to everyone who reached out to us. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. So if you have any comments about what you hear on our program, you can give us a call on our listener line 24-7, no matter when you're listening. Just leave us a message. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. And if you didn't get a chance to jot that down, don't worry. We'll repeat it one more time at the end of the program. Coming up next... Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio, and he'll talk about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of the citizen journalists at Community News Commons, the Winnipeg Foundation's citizen journalism project. Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning, and we are now joined by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons, the Winnipeg Foundation's citizen journalism project. Noah, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. So twice a year, CNC holds workshops for people that want to get involved. Now, as our listeners may know, anyone can get involved in Community News Commons. It's a citizen journalism project. So it's friends and neighbors who are all contributing stories about what matters to them in Winnipeg. Tell us a bit about the upcoming workshops that people can attend. Well, like you say, Rob, every spring and fall, we have these workshops. They're held over at Millennium Library and the Winnipeg Free Press Cafe. And essentially the workshops are offered for free and they teach anyone that uh, wants to attend how to do multimedia online journalism. So we're talking about anything from writing a great article, taking uh, terrific photographs, uh, recording some audio, uh, some videography. It's basically an opportunity to learn the skills that you need to create and publish stories on Winnipeg Citizen Journalism website, which is communitynewscommons.org. Since 2012, the Winnipeg Foundation, through this project, Community News Commons, has helped train hundreds of citizens in multimedia storytelling. And this is a really great opportunity for people to come out, like I say, to Millennium Library on uh, Tuesdays and to the Winnipeg Free Press Cafe on Thursdays. Uh, These workshops are given by uh, professional journalists in the community, such as Dan Lett, the Winnipeg Free Press columnist. He does a great workshop, a three-part workshop on advanced writing. So these workshops are a great opportunity for citizens across Winnipeg who are interested in improving their multimedia skills to come on down and to learn uh, a little bit more about it. And the specific details can be found on communitynewscommons.org. Essentially, it's every Tuesday and Thursday starting October the 18th and it goes until November the 24th. And it's, a, like I say, a great opportunity for people to come out, engage with other citizens who are interested in writing stories, and to learn uh, some of the basics that you need to know when it comes to being a citizen journalist. Excellent. And as you mentioned, it's completely free. People just need to go online and register. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. We want to know the numbers, so that's why we ask people to go online. There's a little article about it on communitynewscommons.org. People can uh, click on the links there in order to register for the workshops and you know you don't have to come to the workshops in order to participate in community news commons you can just go to the website and become a citizen reporter by clicking on a button registering it takes about a minute and you can do that because as the convener of the project I offer editorial mentorship throughout the year but these workshops do provide a uh, some really good advice on how to improve your skills as a um, as a communicator and it's a great way to build your capacity uh, to communicate in the 21st century That's great. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of articles that are published at Community News Commons every week Mm -hmm. from citizen journalists, many of whom have gone through the workshops. What do you have for us 
this week. Well, one article that I really liked that I think our listeners would uh, really benefit from is by Suzanne Hunter. And Suzanne has participated in the workshops uh, over the course of the last couple of years. And she writes an article about peanut allergies with Halloween approaching. Uh, you have to consider this type of thing. And, you know, in the past, it really wasn't an issue. I think for our listeners, we know that peanut allergies were something that we really didn't pay much attention to. But uh, the numbers have shown that uh, allergies, peanut allergies, have increased dramatically over the last uh, uh, couple of decades. And so Suzanne writes an article on uh, on how to identify uh, different uh, items that have peanuts uh, because it doesn't uh, because even though the item may not say it has peanuts in it, it may be manufactured in a facility that could create exposure to peanuts. So even that type of thing could uh, could create a, a, an allergic reaction. And the allergic reaction is serious. And this is something that whether it's your child or your grandchild, you have to really pay attention to. And Suzanne writes about her grandson, who uh, they discovered at the age of two had a serious uh, anaphylactic reaction to a peanut. And this is something that one can be treated uh, when they do have a reaction. You treat with adrenaline, which basically comes out as a EpiPen. And uh, there's a couple of videos that she puts in her article, uh, how to use an EpiPen or how to help somebody use an EpiPen. And she also talks about different products that you can look for in uh, supermarkets uh, that uh, do not have peanuts. And so basically, you're looking for uh, products that are made in peanut-free facilities. And you got to avoid different things such as bulk food stores where there could be cross-contamination. Essentially, it's a terrific article. It's called The Peanut Nutritious Legume or Deadly Allergen by Suzanne Hunter on communitynewscommons.org. And I think our listeners would benefit greatly from uh, reading some of the pointers that um, uh, Suzanne has uh, uh, written about uh, in this particular article. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Now, every week that we have you on the show, we'd like we like for you to bring in a local song. What song do you have for us this week? Well, the Surf Kings have returned. They are the Catamounts, and that's a Winnipeg favorite band. They actually have launched their new album, Saint Newomatic, and that was released just yesterday, uh, last night at the Goodwill. They will also be taking their new album called Saint Newomatic uh, across uh, Canada in a uh, cross-country tour uh, and that'll be coming up in the uh, months ahead in the meantime we've got a tune from their new album it's called six shooters at high tide from the catamounts right here on river city 360 cjnu That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us today. 
If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do so online. Visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about this week's program. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show. If you have a song that you'd like to hear, feel free to send us a song request or suggest a topic for a future show that we could cover on the program. Also, if you have an answer to this week's Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge question, please give us a call and we'll play the correct answers on the air next week. So that is 204-944-9474, extension 360. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can search at RiverCity360 on Twitter or RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday and a wonderful Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm.